0: In the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter, beginning with the 16th verse, we read these words. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'd like to just lift out three parts of what Jesus has uh, told uh, his this, this group that he had come to do. First of all, he has come to heal the brokenhearted. And then he says that he has come to proclaim release to the captives. And then to proclaim the favorable year of of the Jubilee. I believe there are a lot of people in this world today that are broken-hearted, and I believe that there are a lot of people in this world today who are being held captive to their past, and I believe that those same people need to hear that Jesus came to bring them a year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was the year when all debts were canceled, where everything was put back the way it was meant to be. And this is something that that Jesus offers through his cross to all those who come to him. And today I want to just lift up the fact that there's so many people that are just being held captive to their past. There was a man that came across his friend who looked very worried and he asked him, what are you thinking about? And his friend said, I'm thinking about my future. And uh, he said, so what is it that's making it seem so grim? And his friend said, my past. There are many people like this man today, brothers and sisters. They look at life through a filter of regret, remorse, and guilt, and it colors everything. They are captives to their past and it keeps them from living in God's plans for them. And in the present, uh, they uh, can see nothing. They have no hope. They have no future. And Jesus came that we could be set free from our past so we could live in the present and look forward to the future. It's uh, Olympics time right now. And uh, I ran across this story from some time back. Back on May 6th, 1954... Roger Bannister became the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes. But then within two months, John Landy eclipsed this record by 1.4 seconds. And then on August the seventh, 1954, these two met for a historic race. And as they moved into the last lap, Landy held the lead, and it looked as if he were going to win, But as he neared the finish line, he was haunted by one thing. Where is Bannister? And finally, he had to know. And as he turned to look back, Bannister took the lead. Landy later told a Time Magazine reporter, If I hadn't looked back, I would have won. Now, I wonder how often Landy would look back in regret on that day realizing how much that one moment of looking back cost him. Looking back is costly. It's costly. One of the most descriptive pictures of the Christian life in the Bible is of an athletic uh, event of competing in a race. 1 Corinthians nine twenty-four through 27 tells us that the discipline is the key to winning. In Hebrews, we're encouraged to lay aside anything that might hinder our spiritual advancement and to stay focused on Christ. And in Philippians, the third chapter, the 12th through the 13th verses, Paul says, I press on toward the high calling of God in Jesus Christ, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Brothers and sisters, living your life for Christ saves you a lot of living in the woulda, coulda, and shouldas, and being trapped in the past. Because if your eyes are on him, if your eyes are looking at what he has for you to do instead of your mistakes, then you're going to move on with him. But there are so many people that just haven't grasped this. And uh, it's you I'm talking to today. There's so many people that are living in the woulda, coulda, shouldas. I would, if I would have done this, I could have done this. I should have done that. If only, if only I had done this thing. If only I had not done that thing. So many people, there's so many things that they wish they had not done and they live in regret, they live in remorse, and they live in guilt. And it paralyzes them, and it keeps them from moving on in the life that God created them to live. Well, I want to share with you a tragedy that I ran across the other day, that uh, I'm sharing it with you because it's going to be much more horrendous than most of you have ever experienced. But at the same time, many of you have maybe even experienced worse. Back in 1994, I'm going to change the names and the places because this is a true event, and I don't want to bring harm or hurt to the people involved. We're going to say the little girl's name was Sarah. Sarah was 14, and Sarah was a a fun-loving young lady, and who she loved, her father, her father loved her, And they were always playing tricks on each other. And Sarah loved to jump out and scare her father. And this was just kind of a a joke thing that they had going. And uh, her father just worshipped the ground she walked on. He made sure he went and got her breakfast every morning at the corner store before he headed out to work driving his truck. But then one day... This young lady made a tragic miscalculation. She had planned to sleep over at her friend Lori's house, and her mom and dad were going to be going to visit some relatives that evening. But she and her friend Lori made other plans. They decided they would play a really good prank on her father. And so they changed things up, and they stayed at Sarah's house instead of at Lori's house. and whenever the parents were coming in about one in the morning into the darkened house, they made sounds like someone was rustling around like a burglar was in the house and hid in a closet. And then, as, uh, he, as he got close to the, to the closet where the girls were hiding, her father grabbed a 357 caliber pistol. Just as Sarah jumped out of the closet and yelled, Boo! And he shot her in the neck. Little Lori was sitting on the floor of the closet. She watched her friend Sarah fall. She watched as Sarah's father realized what he had done. And his knees just crumpled under him and he fell to the floor saying, I've shot my little girl. Sarah died 12 hours later. Her last words to him were, I love you, daddy. I love you, daddy. Well, this is one of those things that was just a horrible, tragic event. No one blamed the father. The little girl wasn't expected to be at home. Nobody was expected to be at home. The, uh, Uh, the sheriff's department didn't press any charges. They understood. The neighborhood understood. The community understood. Nobody blamed anybody. But then again, there were some people that were blaming others and themselves. Let's face it, this father blamed himself. He blamed himself because he pulled the trigger that killed his little that caused the bullet to kill his little girl. The mother could blame herself for not having urged the father to just, let's just back out of here and uh, let's, uh, let's just call the police and let them handle this. The little girl, Lori, she blamed herself and she had to feel so responsible for what happened to her friend. It was just a tragic accident all the way around and yet these three people would each blame themselves for the death of their daughter and their friend. And I'm sure that uh, if, unless the mother was an exceptional mother and wife, that she, prob- she could have blamed her husband for shooting her little girl and killing her little girl. And so many couples break up over tragedies like this because they don't handle things properly. The, the pain that they feel results in anger, and they, they, they have to focus this anger, anger somewhere, and so they focus it toward each other. They, there has to be blame put somewhere, or so they feel. And whenever it's not handled properly, this puts a wedge in a marriage, that drives the husband and the wife apart. But when handled properly, it can become like glue that holds them together so that they will never be apart. Now, I firmly believe that only the healing power of Jesus Christ can bring you out of something like this. And that if you will avail yourself of his power and his mercy, that he can take the most horrible of things, things like this, and redeem them, and use them so that you will be able to bring good into the lives of others, and once more have good in your life. He can redeem your past. No matter how guilty you might feel, and no matter how guilty you are for what happened in the past, the Lord can redeem it, and he can make it good. So many people just live in the remorse and the guilt, and in doing so, they bar themselves from the plans that God has for them, and the life that he still has for them, and desires for them. In Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, we have this promise, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for good, and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. He has a future and a hope for you. No matter what the things are that you have been involved in in the past, no matter uh, what you have been party to in the past in your life, he has plans for a future and a hope for you. Plans for good for you. Now, I want to tell you how to get there. First of all, if I were counseling uh you, and you were involved in something like this, instead of, uh, you know, lots of times people, well, well what we would do, we talk about uh, you're feeling guilty and why you felt guilty. And if you were f- feeling guilt, I would not be one that would be trying to smooth things over and say, oh, no, 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 no. You're a good father. You're a good mother. You You know, if you're feeling guilty, there's a reason why. And you need to get it out. And so I would, uh, instead of just saying, oh, you know it wasn't your fault, and try to help you find something or somebody else to blame, I would get you to tell me why you really felt guilty. And you know, sometimes as I try to get people to tell me why they feel something is their fault, as they talk through it, they realize that it wasn't their fault. And all of a sudden, they get healing from just having talked things through. Sometimes they'll just say, it's, it, it's not my fault. I can see that now. Most of the time, though, they can tell me, a person can tell me why they feel it was their fault. And I'll tell you what to do. If you're at a place like that, where you feel that something has been uh, uh, perpetrated by you, that's brought about something that you regret, you need to own it. You need to uh, embrace the fact that you did this. And then what you need to do is accept responsibility for what it has done to your life. And then you need to grieve the fact that none of those other things that you wish could have happened or would have happened, or that you could go back and cause to happen. You've got to grieve the fact that None of those other things, none of those other alternatives came about. What did come about was what you did, the choice that you made, and how it has affected your life. And you need to understand that, yes, your life will never be the same because of this. The whole universe has moved because of this, and nothing can undo it. That's the facts. But then when you get to that point, instead of being in denial about things, you can accept it and you can grieve the fact that this happened. You can can shed tears over the loss that you have in your life. And then you can turn this burden over to the Lord. Share your loss with him. Share your grief with him. And whenever, and then confess it. Confess it. I did this. I hate the fact that I did this. And I want to beat myself up so badly. I deserve punishment for what I have done. And when you get to that point, you can begin to really understand what the cross is all about. And you can begin to avail yourself to the power of the cross, because you see in Jeremiah the fifty-third chapter, the fourth and the sixth verses, we read uh, these things that were written about Jesus, Jesus, seven hundred years before he was born. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, I want you to listen to this. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. That's for our wrongdoings, for the things that we did that were wrong. He was crushed for our iniquities, for our sins, the chastening, that is the punishment for our well-being, for our peace in this world, for our, the word is shalom, for our being at peace in the world the punishment that was, would be necessary for us to be set right with the world, it says in scripture, fell upon him. And by his scourging, by the beating that he received, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all, to fall on him. You see, on the cross, Jesus took the place of that father and anything that he felt that he did wrong. On the cross, Jesus took the place of that mother and he has taken the penalty and the punishment for all that she wants to punish herself for and that she feels she deserves to be punished for. He took the place of little Lori. He took the responsibility for what little Lori did in helping to plan that great prank that went so horribly wrong. He took the place of each one of them and he paid the price that they knew they were due. And whatever it is that you regret, whatever it is that you uh, feel you deserve to be punished for, and that maybe you have been punishing yourself for, for years even maybe, he took your place too. And all the punishment that you want to meet out on yourself, he's already received it. And then some. This is where you can appropriate the cross. This is where you can make his cross your cross and the life that he offers through that cross, you can make it yours. This is how you appropriate it. You take what he has done for you and you accept that he paid the price and you gratefully receive that you are off the hook because of what he did. He took the blows for you because he has plans and purposes for you. He took the punishment so that you could be free from your past, so you can live in the present, and so you can look forward to the future. This is from an unknown source, but I want to close with this. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been, had he had his way, and I see, how I blocked him here, and I checked him there, and I would not yield my will, Shall I see grief in my Savior's eyes? Grief, though He loves me still. Oh, He'd be He. Oh, He'd have me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of but of all but His grace. While my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I cannot retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No, Lord of the years that are left to me, I yield them to thy hand. Take me, make me, mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. Take me, make me, mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. You see what you do. You receive what he did for you on the cross, and then you receive the new life that is now yours because of that, pardoned, forgiven, and free. And then you take one step at a time, doing what you know he wants you to do. It may be that he wants you to forgive those people all around you, all the other people that were part of whatever it is that you were involved in, you know he wants you to do that. It may be something else, but whatever your hand finds to do from that point on, do it as unto the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, give us endurance as we run this race of life. Help us not to wallow in past failures, but to uh, instead receive the forgiveness that you offer for our failures. And may we fix our eyes on the eternal goal set before us and keep looking unto Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.